Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You have a great word, and we're so pleased and so privileged to be able to study your word and see what you wrote for us and help us to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 38, verse 11. Here we go. Genesis 38, 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Sheila, be, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. In the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Judah was comforted and went up to, to his sheep shears in Timnath, he and his friend, Hira the Adullamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is, by the way, to Timnath. For she saw that Sheila was grown and, was, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she covered her face. And he turned unto her, by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? He said, I'll send thee a kid from the flock. She said, Well, thou give me a pledge till thou send it. He said, What pledge shall I give thee? She said, Thy signet, thy bracelets, thy staff that is in thine hand. He gave it her and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. She arose, went away, laid by her veil from her, put on the garments of her widowhood. Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adullamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. When he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Judah said, let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. Judah said, bring her forth, let her be burnt. And when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, by the man who these are, Am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet and bracelets and staff. Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I. Behold, or because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son, and he knew her again no more. All right, now, in our last study here, we saw how Judah thinks that he sees a harlot by the roadside there in verse 15. Judah said, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she covered her face. And when Judah sees her, we watch Judah acting like a complete 
fool as he, you know, as he pleads with her to let her commit fornication in verse 16. He turned on her, by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. And then she says, Well, will thou give me, thou mayest come unto me. You know, it's interesting the way verse 16 puts it by saying, Let me come in unto thee, for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. You know, that's a very important parenthesis there. That parenthesis said, for he, he, he says, let me come in unto thee. And then it explains, oh, but you know what? Oh, he didn't know it was really his daughter-in-law. See, that little parenthesis there is indicating that when Judah propositioned her, Judah was only willing to proposition her provided that she was not his daughter-in-law. That indicates that Judah was willing to commit fornication, but he wasn't willing to commit incest. And people today, you know, they shrink from some sins like incest, like homosexuality, or at least they used to. But people today, they feel very comfortable to watch on television, to watch in movies, and think, you know, fornication is acceptable. But for God, who's perfectly holy, sin is sin. No matter what the sin is, the sin is fornication, the sin is incest, whatever. Now we see in verse 16 how Tamar now, she responds to his proposition with her question. What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? You know, it's important to see that Tamar here, she's not lustful in this situation here. She's vengeful. I mean, Tamar is angry. She's angry with Judah for lying to her about her being able to, in the future, marry Sheila when he grows up. And now she knows that Judah's got no intention at all of ever letting her marry Sheila. He's only told her that to get rid of her because somehow he suspects that she's kind of involved somehow in the death of his two other sons. He doesn't want to lose his last son. So Tamar, she's out for revenge in this whole thing. She wants to expose him. She wants to humiliate him. And she's going to be successful. And so in Tamar, it's interesting because we stand back and we look at this and we say, the Tamar say, hey, that looks like Satan. That looks like Satan there because he, Satan's intention and how he wants to use sin in people's lives. Tamar is a picture of what Satan does to people. Just like Tamar enticed Judah to sin, so Satan entices people to sin. And just like Tamar, she remained veiled. Satan makes a false promise that, you know, this will be a secret. No one's going to know about this. No one will ever know. You know, Satan's lie, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, that's a lie. And just like Tamar, who waited for the best time, could completely destroy Judah publicly. That's what Satan does. Satan waits for the time to expose sin, to bring about a complete destruction. He waits for the time of total vulnerability to make a display of what happened in Vegas, you know? And we see this in the case of Dennis Hastert, who served as a speaker of the house, you know, who molested the boys as a coach, as a gym coach. But And it was decades later all that surfaced. Or in the case of Jerry Sandusky over at Penn State University, a football coach, you know, Nobody knew that all that was hidden until it was brought out in the open. You know, Satan's promise says, this will be our little secret. It'll be our little secret, but it's a lie. The devil only wants to wait for the time and for the exposure and to bring about the greatest destruction. And so now Judah responds 
in verse 17, he says, I'll send thee a kid of the flock. And when Tamar hears Judah's eagerness, and she reads it, she knows, oh, I got him hooked now. He's hopelessly hooked. He's hooked. I can draw him away. I can drag him. And when we see Judah's eagerness here, we see an example of the description of lust, which is told to us in, in James 1, James 1, 13, it says this, let no man say when he is tempted, oh, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. See? When we see Judah's eagerness here now, because, you know, this is not going to stop with the kid. It's going to go to every valuable he's got on him. See, what we're seeing here is a man who is tempted, as it says in James 1, tempted, and he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is not Tamar that's working inside of Judah here. This is Judah that is tempted within, and he's being drawn away of his own lust. See, the Greek word here that's used in James 1 Drawn away, helco is the Greek word, helco. And we see its real meaning when we look at it in another place in the history of a day in the life of Peter the fisherman, when it says in John 21, John 21, 4, and it describes what happened in this day in the life of Peter, John 21, 4. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, they were fishing, have you any meat? They answered him, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And then dropping down to verse 10, John 21, 10. John 21, 10. Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net He drew the net to land, full of great fishes, 150 and three, and for also so many that the net was not broken. See, here's a situation where Peter has caught 153 fish in his net. I mean, just picture these fish. You know, they're, 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 I mean, the the fish, picture the fish. They're shocked in the first place to find themselves caught in a net. I mean, that's so much like a person who finds that they are caught in the net of their own sin, and they're shocked to find themselves trapped. And he says, the Lord says this in John 8, 34. He says, Jesus answered them saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. He's trapped. A person thinks that, well, you know, I'm just going to commit a sin, you know. I mean, he has no idea that he's going to become the servant to that sin. He has no idea that he will be trapped in this net of addiction to the sin and he's shocked to find himself trapped. See, just as those fish, you know, they're shocked to find themselves trapped. What's going on here? And then we read how Peter dragged the net to land, to the shore. As it says in John 21, 11, John 20, 11, I just read that. It says, Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. You know, when it says that, that Peter drew the net to land. That means that Peter dragged this net to land. 
I mean, just imagine the fish, you know, we talked about, just imagine the fish saying to themselves, you know, wait a minute, you know, what's going on here? I don't want to be dragged to land. What's happening? You know, the fish. Yeah. And so the fish are being dragged against their will to land. They're trying to swim, but they can't. And that word, that's the word. That word used to describe Peter dragging the net to land is translated drew. You know, that's the word helco. That's the same Greek word helco that's used and translated drawn away in James 1.14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Just like the fish, you know, the person says, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, you know, what's this fire of passion that's burning in me? Why can't I stop thinking about and craving this sin? I thought I could do it once and, I'd get, and I would get it out of my system. I didn't know it was going to become a part of my system. Why do I feel like I'm being dragged away by this overpowering lust? That's what happens. So Tamar has seen how, oh, Judah's in the net of his own sin, and his own lusts are dragging him, just like Peter dragging the net of the, the land. So Tamar starts to, she, she starts to drag a little bit, and she says, well, what wilt thou give me for a pledge? In verse 17, Genesis 38, 17. Well, will thou give me a pledge? Will thou give me a pledge till thou send it? In that picture, we can see how sin always takes a person further than they wanted to go. I didn't want to go that far. Now, here, if Judah was strong, he would take control, and he wouldn't do this. But Judah has lost control, and he puts himself under her control when he says, what pledge shall I give thee? See? Judah's asking her what he should give her. I mean, here's strong Judah being reduced to what the Bible calls a piece of bread. In Proverbs 6, 26, it's a piece of bread, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound to dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. That's why it says in in Proverbs 5, 8, remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thy honor unto others and thy ears unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth. Who is this? She's a stranger. She's got her uh, face covered. She's giving her all his wealth. And thy labor is being the house of a stranger. And thou mourn the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof lest strangers be filled with thy wealth. That's what she's asking for. The most valuable things that Judah has on him at that time. Proverbs 29.3, he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. So here he is, he's ready to give her whatever she wants. He's spending his substance. So Tamar now looks at Judah and sees how his lust has brought the strong man down to his knees. And she realized she can ask for anything. He's going to give it. So she looks him over, takes a little inventory. What you got? And I'll take that signet right there. It's a ring, 
around his neck. Usually it was with uh, silk thread. It was what they used for sealing documents. Oh, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Oh, those brace, those gold bracelets, uh, yeah, I'll have those, okay, on your wrist. Oh, that staff in your hand, that nice carved staff on the top, I'll take that too. Now, notice how in each case she said thy before everything she wanted. Thy signet, thy bracelet, thy staff that is in thine hand. When she asked Judah for his signet or his ring, she stripped him of his identity, of his dignity, like I said, it's for use for signing documents. When she asked Judah for his bracelets, which were gold, typically, she stripped him of his wealth. When she asked Judah for his staff in his hand, with staff is what they use for defending himself, she stripped him of his defenses. It's very symbolic of what sin does to a person. It strips him of his dignity, of his wealth, of his defenses, and it weakens his soul. And then we see here, there's a period after that word hand, which is when she has made her request, period. And now she waits, what's your response? What's your response? It's an important period <laughs> there because the period represents the opportunity for Judah to come to himself and say, what am I doing? And run. You know, this is an opportunity for Judah to do what Joseph had to do in Egypt the next chapter, as a matter of fact, in Genesis 39, 12, when it says about Potiphar's wife, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. See, when that verse says, Joseph, it says, it's interesting, it says, he got him out. You know, it's like, he got him out. You know, it's like Joseph picking himself up by the nape of his neck and saying, we're getting out of here, boy. <laughs> and that's the time for Judah to get himself out of this sin. He's on the verge of committing this terrible thing. And that was Judah's decision time. There are these times, these decision times, these critical decision times we all have in life. And we're called on to run from sin. That's a time in life when a person is called to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. When we go knocking on Jewish doors and call on the Jewish people, receive your Messiah as the Lord Jesus, as your, as your Lord and Savior, That's a decision time for them. Like Lowell's beautiful poem, Once to Every Man and Nation. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. Some great cause, some great decision, offering each the bloom or blight. And the choice goes by forever twist that darkness and that night. See, the period in the middle of that verse 17 was Judah's moment to decide. So we're going to rewrite Lowell's poem for Judah, and we're going to say, once to Judah came the moment to decide in Judah's strife of truth with falsehood. For Judah, the good or evil side, a great cause to choose a great decision to make, each offering to Judah the bloom or bright. And Judah's choice went by forever twixt Judah's darkness and Judah's light. Then we read about his choice. He makes his choice. In verse 18, it says, and he gave it her and came in unto her. She conceived by him. Whoop, wasn't planning on that. Now, all this, of course, is very dark. (laughs) It's very dark. It's very tragic. 
But there's something very precious in this account. You don't expect it, but it is. It's wonderful, as a matter of fact. In all this negotiation, propositioning, and so forth, in verses 17 and 18. And it's found when Tamar asked for a pledge. Because when she asked for a pledge, she used the Hebrew word, Arabon, Arabon. So don't forget that name, Arabon. It's important. And it only appears here in all the Bible, in all the Hebrew Bible. It only appears here in this chapter in the verses 17, 18, and 20. And it's the meaning of Arabon is so clear and it's so precious when she's asking for this pledge. That's how it's translated, Arabon. And what is it? What is the pledge? What's the Arabon? Well, it's really an earnest deposit. It's like a down payment. It's like a security deposit. That's the meaning of Arabon. And the idea is that Judah has promised to come later with a kid and to show that he is earnest. He's willing to make this deposit of this signet bracelets and staff. And those are the down payment that Judah is serious about his promise that he's going to later pay off. See, that's how Arabon is translated with the word pledge, which is a really good English word because those items represent Judah's pledge. It represents his promise that I'm going to come through in the future. So we see that the word arabon, which has been translated as pledge, what she's talking about here, is the security deposit that assures that the promise will be kept. It's a security deposit. Now, the Old Testament was translated as you know, in Alexandria, it was translated into Greek by 70 scholars. 70. That's why it's called the Septuagint. And the Greek New Testament relied on the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, whenever it was making reference in the Old Testament. And as I said here, Tamar and Judah used this Hebrew word, arabon, translated as pledge, And this is the only place in the Old Testament where this word appears. So when those 70 Greek scholars, Hebrew Greek scholars, translated this chapter into Greek, and they came to this Hebrew word for pledge, they couldn't find a Greek word for it, a Greek equivalent. So what did they do? They put Greek letters on this Hebrew word. And when you look at the, in Greek, it says Arabon, only it's not written in Hebrew letters, it's written in Greek letters. It's very unique. They said that's a very unique word. We can't find an equivalent to it. So we just leave it there as Arabon. Now that's interesting because the word, the Greek word, or, or Greekized word, whatever you want to call it, is used three times in the New Testament. And it's used in 2 Corinthians 1 2 Corinthians 1 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. So here's how it's used. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit, God, who hath sealed us and given us the earnest, that's how it's translated, that's our bone, earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That was 2 Corinthians 1, 22. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says, now he that hath wrought for us for the selfsame thing as God, who hath also given us the earnest of the Spirit, the Arabon. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.